0: Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. This week on the Linux Sucks Action Show. A new video editing and audio sampling applications that barely work on Linux, Red Hat hits records profits, uh, making billions off the backs of open source, Uh, Apple releases their new file system, APFS, and Noah finally explains the real reason that
1: LAS is ending. Welcome to the Linux Action Show episode 463. My name is Noah. And I'm Alan. Welcome back to the show, Alan. It's been what, since 2012?
0: Something like that. I can't, I think maybe I've done one in the meantime, but it's not on my list. So yeah, the last
1: one I have on my list is September 2012. So if most of you don't, if some of you may not know that Alan used to be actually the host of the Linux Action Show before me, before Matt, it was Alan. And uh, he's been, he's been practicing for this episode. Isn't that right, Alan? Oh, not really. (laughs) Okay, all right. So, coming up on this week of the Linux Action Show, we have some exciting things to tell you. Um, Chris has taken off for the week, and I have permission from him to tell you the real reason that we are getting rid of the Linux Action Show. That's coming up in the Meg segment. Before that, though, we have the news, and of course... The PICS! Right now we have the picks. Those are coming up too. And our first pick is a uh, Runs Linux. This Acer TravelMate 4150 that was retrofitted to fit a Raspberry Pi. Is uh-huh. running Linux. And this guy has he has a whole write-up of this. He's basically taken the entire computer apart and outfitted it with a Raspberry Pi, connected all the peripherals back up, and essentially turned a totally useless computer, used that as a shell to make a usable computer on ARM. Now, Alan, I, have, I don't know if I've, we've ever talked about this. What do you think about the ARM infrastructure? Um, well, the first my first
0: thought of this particular project is it seems like it might have been slightly cheaper than buying a pie top, you know, something specifically designed to do this with. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know, once you gut everything out, I suppose that's an option. And you get maybe more peripherals than you get with the Pi top. Although after the hour, it took me to take one of my X220s apart in order to... Uh, uh, finagle with uh, one of the chips inside. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure I'd want to spend the time tearing it apart just to take my Raspberry Pi inside. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I've never taken apart a laptop quite that detail. I mean, when I when I think of taking a laptop apart, I think about, like, swapping a keyboard or swapping a display, but yeah, I'm so, buying the parts from the company.
0: Yeah, so with this one, uh, I got it off eBay for under $100 because it had a bios password so as soon as you turn it on it asked for a password and you couldn't even get into That's the bios no good. Mm-hmm. so it wouldn't boot or let you in the bios so they were selling it as like spare parts only mm-hmm. but i did a little googling and it's like yeah if you just short out these two pins on the eeprom that where the password is stored mm-hmm. just as it's trying to read it it will think oh i couldn't find the password and it'll let you in the bios and then you can overwrite the password with a good one right what i didn't know is that, that chips on the bottom on, on the reverse side of the motherboard. Oh. So you have to start by like taking the keyboard out. Yeah, and all, <laughs> you basically tear everything apart and get down till you can actually remove the motherboard to get to the back side of it. And the interesting, and then the entire motherboard on both sides is covered in this sticky black plastic stuff to keep it from shorting out on anything. Right, and you gotta but... try to peel that back without ripping it or pulling any of the little wires off.
1: Let me tell you though, <laughs> if you're in a studio and your co-host dumps his beverage of choice on your laptop, that sticky black stuff in between the keyboard and the motherboard. Uh, yeah, well, it act, acts as a liquid barrier and will prevent that from damaging the computer. Yes. So there is a, there is a positive side to it. But what you're saying is yes. you got to know the internals of your X220.
0: Yeah, uh, I I spent rather uh, you know it was over an hour to get it disassembled and another 45 minutes to put it back together the next day because I eventually gave up and went to bed. Um, but I did get a perfectly working X220 out of the end of the deal. You know for. Of course, you can. I got, I've got. i gotten fully working regular ones used off eBay for about $200, but this mm-hmm. one was only like 100 and I was like, well, you know,
1: for that price, it's hard to turn down a laptop. Right, right, exactly. Well, fantastic. If you have a Runs Linux that you think we should feature on the show, we invite you to s- submit it over at com or at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click on the contact link and choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. Now, before we What's get- really
0: we- interesting about this particular one, though, is mm-hmm. that- you know, anything that runs on the Raspberry Pi could then run in that computer.
1: Right. Yes, yes. And the other thing is, too, is I think that you're probably, you're stealing, you're you're, you're probably jumping light years ahead in terms of performance, because if you have software that is set up and coded for the ARM architecture, it's going to run, like, way better than any sort of x86 stuff is going to run on a computer from 15 years ago, right?
0: Right. Well, this one is at uh, 1.7 gigahertz. If you had a Raspberry Pi 2, that's... More cores than that, for sure. And I think about more gigahertz. Right. Uh, And now it might have a little bit less RAM in the end. But the nice thing is, if you can actually make it powered off the laptop battery, Mm -hmm. the draw that the Raspberry Pi uses at, what, like 5 volts? Right. uh, Out of that 12-volt battery that has like... Absolutely. That one wasn't going to be 90 watt hours like my laptop. But it's probably going to run that Pi for a good long time.
1: Right. And let's face it. I mean, the reality is that people do this kind of stuff... Because they can, right? I mean, there's there's nobody out there. There's not like a mass market for retrofitted laptops with Raspberry Pis. But we do it because we're geeks and we like doing stuff like that.
0: Well, and if you have the laptop laying around and nothing to do for the right. weekend,
1: it's a fun project. Yeah, occupy some time. If you want to learn more about that project or see more in detail what he did, the, there is a link in the show notes. Now, we have more picks coming up. But before we get to that, we want to thank our sponsor, DigitalOcean.com. Now, DigitalOcean is... VPS is made completely simple. And believe you me when I tell you I have used every VPS platform known to man. Uh, I have tried them all and still to date, and it was just yesterday, we had a customer contact us and they wanted us to switch some of their infrastructure over to, uh, to, to a newer version and stuff like that. And, and we just sent an email out. And we said, hey, here's what we need you to do. Just log into your DigitalOcean account, make an image of that droplet link it to us we'll go ahead and import it on our portal and we're using their team management function so that all of my employees can get to it and my team members can work on it as well as me
0: the the team feature on visual ocean is how you can tell that it's actually ready for prime time
1: oh it's amazing and so they 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 sent this image over we imported it into our account and now we're able to work on the client's uh, exact setup exactly the way he has it with his data right there with no risk of actually losing his data. If the migration doesn't go as planned, we simply blow it away and we start over again. And once we get everything right, then we can send that image back to him and, his, and he puts it back on his account and it's all ready to go. It is. Yeah, and the advantage with that approach, rather
0: than him just giving you his password, is that you never had access to his account. Right. Just to the image of the one machine they
1: wanted you to work on. Yeah, exactly. So um, the we have – it has fundamentally changed the way that we work on servers in – 2017, if you would have told me 10 years ago when I was doing, uh, when I was working on servers, that this was going to be the way of the future, that we we're going to be able to basically email servers back and forth, I, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, and so well, it, yeah,
0: it came up in IRC earlier, today. uh, 10 years ago, uh, I was selling people like one tenth of a server with a, uh, with 512 megabytes of Ram right. for
1: $15 a month. Yeah. And you know and, what? And that was only with non-root shell access. And what's interesting about this, too, and this is this is kind of the important part of the uh, is, is we're going to give you $10 to try it for free. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. That's all one word. Run it together like you're slurring it, as Chris would say. And you'll get $10 credit towards your digital ocean droplet. Now, I saw an exchange on Twitter a couple of days ago. There were some people that were concerned that the uh, promo code still required a credit card. To the best of my understanding, to the best of Chris's understanding – no credit card required. You create an account, uh, well, no. put the so promo card, you, you're able to use
0: You it. have to, because otherwise people would just use the uh, promo code to get free servers to attack people with, you know, DDoS hmm. attack. I, so it's like, buy one month, get three. Okay. Kind of. Okay. It, $10 right. added to your account, but I, you still need to verify that you're a real person. I don't think you actually I, end up having to pay any money to try it. I but see. you have to have a credit card to prove that you're not just going to use, uh, you know, because you can do hourly instances, you could spin up like 10 droplets and denial of service to attack someone with like 20 gigabits of bandwidth.
1: Yeah, man. That sounds like fun. Really sounds like a great idea.
0: Well, uh, as someone who's had that done to them by people with the free Amazon tier, mm-hmm. I'm very glad that uh, DigitalOcean actually bothers to verify people. So yeah, I think mean, it's super easy. It's like, show us your Twitter, your GitHub account or something to prove that you're an actual person that has friends.
1: It does make the longevity of the company definitely stand out because they are taking a stance. All right, Alan, tell me about Sesutil. Yes, uh, so Sesutil is uh, our app pick for
0: FreeBSD this week. Uh, So it's a a tool for managing uh, SCSI enclosure services. So uh, SES is a protocol that hardware can speak. uh, And if you have any kind of server that has a lot of hard drives, it probably has a backplane and uh, a Cess controller on it. Uh, so, you know, I have servers that have 36 hard drives, and there's actually split 24 in the front and 12 in the back on two different back planes. And those back have fans, they have power inputs, they have temperature sensors, and they control the LED lights for all of those drives. Wow. Uh, so s- this creates these Cess devices in your operating system, but you can't really do anything with them without a tool. So uh, with the Cesutil tool, you can do Cessutil map, and it will give you a map of your, all your Cess devices. And you can also use it to probe uh, stuff to see, you know, what's the temperature uh, on this backplane versus that backplane, right? Cold air is supposed to be coming in the front, so I can compare the temperature on the front and back backplanes to see how much the temperature is changing as it goes through the machine. Sure. Uh, but more importantly, I can use the fault or locate commands to turn on the different LEDs on the drives to indicate which one's wrong. You know, nice. I have servers that are in data centers in a different country than in which I live. Right. Uh, so when a drive dies, I'm telling some guy on the phone, could you go over to this machine labeled this way and pull out the hard drive where the red light is blinking? Because uh, if I was trying to describe to him, you know, there's 24 drives on the front of this 4U machine. You have right. to pull the right one. If you pull the wrong one, that could be too many Disaster. faults in this array. And then the data is gone. Now, I use double fault so I can handle that. But still. It's kind of important that they pull the right drive out. So being right. able to turn on the right light is really handy. But the other thing it can do is it can match up device names to slot numbers. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to figure out that I want to turn the light on on slot 12, I can say just turn the light on for the device, you know, DA7 or sda sure i don't know how's links it would be like sda
1: one yeah sda yeah how
0: would it work when like i have like da 72 on my machine because i have 32 drives and plus ssds and then they're all dual homed
1: i have no idea what happens when you get past 26 i've never had i've never had more than 26 i've never worked with more (laughs) than 26 drives maybe it doubles up the letters interesting question i I bet that's what it does i bet it does SDAA, sda you know or does
0: it or does it do ZA to make them sorted correctly
1: Gosh, that, that is a good question. <laughs> if anyone knows the answer to that, let me know right into yes, LinuxActionShow at JupiterBroadcasting dot com or use the contact link. I want to know the answer to that question. What happens if you exceed the maximum number of letters that are available in the alphabet? Hey, it's the news brought to you by Ting dot com. Go to last.ting.com. dot com, and they Ting is mobile that makes sense. Ting is my mobile service provider. It is Chris's mobile service provider. And if they offered Ting service in Canada, Canada based company that doesn't offer service in Canada, what? Yep. It would probably be Ellen's service provider. But yes, I really wish it was. The amount I pay for my cell phone is stupid. My bill went from $140 down to 24 bucks a month and i now have myself on the service i have my wife on the service i've got my mother on this service and it is absolutely fantastic in fact when my mom came over to ting she uh she asked me she said you know what am i going to owe you a month and i said mom don't worry about it because it's only six dollars a month for the device and then you just pay for what you use well she doesn't use data she uses a flip phone i'm lucky if she sends two texts a month uh, and so and then she uses maybe 10 or 15 minutes on her phone. So it's absolutely it's it just, it's just it's a brain dead simple solution for her. Add to that. It's so cheap that when my grandma passed away, we actually wanted to keep her phone number because they'd had it for like ever. And um, we didn't exactly know how to do that and, and where we were going to keep it and what we'd use it for. So I said, "Hey guys, let's just port it to Ting. It'll cost us 6 bucks a month. We'll put it on a phone and we'll just have an extra phone around in the family." And so that's what we ended up doing. We did that at last.ting.com and they gave us they gave us I think with the the $25 credit that they gave us, I think that got me the first 3 months because that is that's about what you'll get for 25 bucks if it's if it's just you. Now the number one complaint I hear from people when I meet them on the road is, hey, I don't know how I would purchase phones because if my phone breaks, I don't want to have to wait for it to come back from Ting and I don't want to have to wait, you know, the mailing process back and forth. Well, I got good news for you. First of all, Best Buy sells unlocked GSM unlocked phones. You can buy them right there in the store. You can pick them up. Just put the Ting SIM in. In fact, when I bought my lap, my wife's second to last phone, the Best Buy guy actually programmed it for me on ting he went and he saw the little gsm card thing and he he looks at it and he and it wasn't connecting to the data and he's like oh, i wonder why goes to ting.com pulls up their their uh, their knowledge base which has clear-cut instructions on how to get uh your smartphone working on ting's data service and he actually programmed it for us so that's one option another option that i just found out at&t will sell you an unlocked phone they'll sell it to you locked but as long as you don't sign as long as you don't sign up for service with it You can just buy the phone, take it home, you send in the IMEI, it takes about 24 hours, and they send you an unlock code, and then the phone is just unlocked, and you can use that on Ting, and I've done that, it's a great way to go. Last.ting.com, and a huge thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Our first story is OpenShot. OpenShot 2.3 has been released, and there are some some pretty exciting things here. Um, I was originally, before we decided uh, what we were going to do on this particular episode, we were originally going to do an episode on a competitor to OpenShot called Lightworks, which is my primary video editor, and they released mm-hmm. a beta. That's going to come up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then I saw that OpenShot was released, and I thought, this is really incredible. So one of the th- a couple of things they have done that are different they have a new transform tool that makes pictures bounce scale. Um, and so uh, effectively, you can do like if you're familiar with the Ken Burns effect is. Ken Burns is a he was a, um, a documentary maker and he had a lot of still photography. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to be able to take a still photo and present it in video form. And he came up with this very simple but very effective way of presenting a photo. And basically what you do, take the photo, zoom you know far into the photo, and then you pan across the photo or push into the photo or pull out of the photo or you know move
0: anything to make it a moving image anything to
1: to make it a moving image and the and it's it's a wildly effective way to keep people's attention on still images and so the ability to do this transform tool my understanding is makes um, doing things like the ken burns effect very very simple the razor tool is back from 1.4.3 which allows you to quickly cut clips or transitions we now have a better ability to zoom in and out of the timeline, uh, centering on the mouse. We have an improved tile editor. So one of the things that I've been playing with in my video editor is is being able to do title edits and uh, and making you know flashy things that come in and splash. And if you watched my promo video for the Ask Noah show, which, by the way, shameless self plug, launches Monday, April 3rd at 4 p.m. Pacific, that's 7 p.m. Eastern right here at JBLive.tv. That intro video was created, um, and it focused a lot on titles and so the fact that um, the new open shot has an improved t- title editor is going to is going to allow people is going to bring it, I-, I think, to the next level, which is, is really fantastic. Um, uh, again, the ability to do um, animated tiles, colors, we have a new preview window, so the way I have my video editing workstation set up is I have two displays i have one where i have my timeline and the media and then i have another one that is strictly dedicated to preview so i can watch real time the changes that i'm making in the timeline also they have live uh in inside of the preview it now um it's now doing live preview. They've, they've, uh, they've cha- changed some of the backend stuff so that that renders better and apparently is more responsive. So altogether a really fantastic job by the OpenShot team. OpenShot is the editor that I would really like to, to eventually move to because it's a true open source project. It is available on all three major platforms. Or, no, I'm sorry. I think it's windows and, and Linux right now soon. Nope, ho- they have a, they have, they have a, Mac a Mac data board. on the website. Great. Um, so available on all three platforms. It's the editor I'd really like to be at, and they are making great strides to becoming a very fantastic editor, very competitive with Caden Live and Lightworks. And <laughs> interestingly enough, his kids put together a cat video. So <laughs> the hallmark of any good video editor. Alan, do you do any video editing? I don't, but I just checked, and OpenShot
0: is available on FreeBSD. Fantastic yeah we we're just discuss- open source software. it can be compiled natively and it's available on Freebsd. although it looks like we still have the older version of 1.4.3 uh, to poke someone if someone would like to use OpenShot on Freebsd uh, obviously there's a version available now, but it'd be uh, nice for someone that actually uses it and understands it and can make sure it actually works, not just that it compiles right uh, to get it updated to this new version Fantastic.
1: we've talked a lot on the show about you know the production angle. On Linux, and one thing that fundamentally keeps Linux back in the production world oftentimes is its ability to use some of the very fancy tools that the competing operating systems have and one of those one of those competitive tools is the virtual plugin system for digital audio workstation vsts and oops that 's the wrong tab and um, the um, we have Steinberg is bringing vSTs to Linux, and this is really some fantastic stuff. My dad does a lot of DAW work and his VSTs are everything. In fact, he picks the devices that he's going to use based on the VSTs that are available. So, version 3.6.7 has a plugin SKD for Linux in addition to other OSs. Uh, the developers have worked on, uh, and uh, have the, they have, uh, for developers and end users, and more native plugins for directly for Linux. So this is fundamentally going to make those digital audio workstations uh, much more productive on Linux. Roland, for example, has these VSTs. They they design audio samples for these VST manufacturers. And what they'll do is they will take a Stradivarius violin, which not many people can get their hands on, and they will record a given note. So they'll record a C, uh, for example, on the Stradivarius and then they'll break it up. They'll break it up into three parts, the attack, the sustain, and the d- decay. And then they'll take they'll play the attack, and then they'll take the sustain, and they will loop it over and over and over again. And then they'll play the dec- decay. So on my computer, I can set up, I want to hold the C note for five measures, whatever. It'll play the attack. It will loop the sustain until we reach the desired five measures, and then it'll play the decay. And we can take these sounds that ordinarily wouldn't be able to, uh, we, I would never be able to avoid, uh, afford a Stradivarius violin, and we can take those sounds, and now we can play those in digital audio workstations. And that power is coming to Linux because some of those sampled sounds are very, very expensive. And so the mm-hmm. big VST, like Stein, uh, Steinberg, we need those people to be on Linux if VST, if uh, digital audio workstations are to be successful. I, I suppose that's probably a little off your beaten path? Uh, a little bit.
0: I, I don't deal with audio very much, but… Uh, sure. You know, it's definitely part of the ongoing trend we see with more companies finally embracing open source uh and, and doing stuff the right way.
1: Sure. I think also I think there has been there has been a void created. I'm watching As um, I actually I was just following a very interesting story about a gentleman who is he was on he was deep into the Apple ecosystem. He had Macs, he had iPads, he had iPhones, and he has been moving off of those things to uh, alternative operating systems like BSD and Linux. Um, And a big part of that was that um, he's looking at the direction that Apple is going and he's becoming very, very uncomfortable. And I know that there's a lot of people in the gaming community that feel the same way. A lot of
0: that going on right now, even Mm -hmm. uh, BSD developers uh, a couple of years ago, you go to a BSD conference and it was about maybe slightly more than half of them had Macs and, and most everybody else had a Lenovo. Now it's many more on the Lenovo side. Uh, but we're starting to see some other stuff, too, because all the people that were diehard Mac fanboys, right, the direction uh, they weren't liking, especially with the hardware, not having recent hardware. You mm-hmm. know, if you're developing a kernel, you have to compile a lot of things. You want the latest, fastest CPU if you right. can get it. right? Uh, and then the other problem was the software. Mm-hmm. The NFS client in OS 10 just crashes a lot now. Sure. Uh, and that broke the back of the camel. And then a lot of people, the escape key was just drawing the line. Uh,
1: yeah. The new MacBook has, has drawn a lot of line in the sand for sure. 16 gigs soldered memory and no function keys.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of people switching uh, their hardware platform and their OS platform at the same time. Uh, you know, uh FreeBSD developer uh, that I'm familiar with it just got uh, the new Razer laptop with the 4K screen. And mm-hmm. uh, he did, like, all sliders to the right version of it, spent uh, a lot less than he would have spent on a Mac. But as much as they he could spend, the most expensive version of the laptop he could buy. Uh, and he runs uh, FreeBSD on that now.
1: Fantastic. And it's good to know that, that manufacturers like uh, Razer are accommodating to, I mean, even if not by intention, well, even is, by but, accident. Uh,
0: Razer didn't accommodate at all. But it's, you know. It's an Intel graphics card and a uh, regular Wi-Fi, so it was fairly straightforward. Right. Uh, the Razer is a little complicated on the Wi-Fi front because it has a Killer NIC, not uh, okay. you know, like almost everything else has Intel Wi-Fi that right. Intel provides some support for. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's just using a USB Wi-Fi dongle at this point. Uh, okay. But it's a it's a Atheros, I think, or. Very Something, strange. Aetheros some kind usually of wireless has... that we will have support for in FreeBSD shortly, just not at this moment.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Athros I thought was kind of known for their um for their yeah, support. It's, it's a lot it's, of
0: well sorry, it's, it's but they got bought by Qualcomm, so they're not quite the same anymore.
1: I see. Okay, well, either by accident or by intention, it's good to see that there are hardware platforms out there that are accommodating. Because I think, mm-hmm. I like I said, I think if if my business relied on the model uh, that Apple and Microsoft are setting out for right now, I'd be I'd be kind of concerned. Um, yeah. You know, you watch well, you watch the latest yeah, version of yeah. macOS; it looks a lot like iOS.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the biggest gripe that most people I know have with laptop manufacturers is. Changing the components without changing the version number or the model sure. number. Yeah. Right? You, you buy a laptop and then six months later you try to buy the identical laptop for mm-hmm. somebody else at your business. Because you right. want to have all your laptops be the same because it makes supporting them easier, yes. right? Yes. Yes. And it's got a different Wi-Fi card in it.
1: Right. And yeah. you like yeah but how yeah yeah that's yeah that's that's a real pain in fact um <clears throat> one of the one of the reasons that we've have been a dell partner for so long is for that exact reason is we can go back even models once they have given the the once the new model comes out you know that there is a certain amount of time that they're going to sell that, um, that slightly older version. They'll, they'll keep that for sale. And then even after they pull it off the site, a lot of times we can get it as a Dell partner and we're able to get that to a business. And so, like you said, being able to support that at scale is just – it's much easier than being like, which, which revision of desktop do you have now? It's a, it's, it's a total disaster. One of my favorite companies has been my favorite one of my favorite companies for a long, long time, and I'm always happy when I can present some positive, great, encouraging news from this company. Is Red Hat? Red Hat is what got me into Linux, and I'll always be thankful to them. This uh, today we learn that Red Hat has highs that they haven't seen since 2015. It's uh, they're doing an absolutely outstanding job. In the Linux world, their shares climbed 6% on Tuesday. They've had the best day since March of 2015. It surpassed a 30-year average, trending 1.83 million shares on Tuesday, with more than 1.89 million shares changing hands before noon. Their revenue, $629 million versus $619 million, is expected in the fourth quarter of 2017. Also, Monday expects to have strong earnings for their upcoming fiscal year. Uh, the company's subscription revenue, which accounted for 89% of their total revenue, the quarter was at $560 million, or up from 17% from one year ago, Red Hat said. It crossed the $2 billion in annual subscription revenue for the first time it, this fiscal year. Um, yeah. This so is it really this tells you How many people are paying for Red Hat? There's a saying um, back when I first got into IT, um, you know, we would, we would go and... Um, I don't know if you remember this, it, the, the old ThinkPads, uh, they would have this. It was just a quirk of the ThinkPad. The the track point mouse would um, if you if you would move it up, it, it would just it would start to climb towards the corner. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. So and here's the thing. Anyone that owned a ThinkPad knew that was the thing. And the answer was you just you took your hands up and just waited a second. And it would stop, and then you'd go back to work. And just anyone that owned, everyone that I knew that owned a ThinkPad knew about this little this little quirk. And I was working with this guy, and um, and they were having this huge, you know, debate on if they were gonna if they were gonna use ThinkPads or not because of of, of this bug, and and this is so terrible, and you know they've they've gotten all these defective models. And I'm like, you know, the, I think the guy said he's like, how many semi trucks are they gonna send to pick up these ThinkPads because every ThinkPad that we've ever touched does does this this track point. And the guy, the, the second guy that was there, responds and he says. No one ever got fired by, by, for buying IBM. We're going to stick with IBM. And that seems to be true in 2017 of Red Hat. If you're going into a large infrastructure, when I go to a college, the first thing I do, it doesn't matter if I've tried the software on Ubuntu, if it works on Ubuntu, if I can demo it on my laptop on Ubuntu. I, my first choice is always to install it on Red Hat. And it, partly because I name drop Red Hat and everyone, even if they're not familiar you know, with the details of Linux, They've heard of that company and they've heard of the support that they offer. And when they ask other colleagues, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, you know, for example, we worked with the chemical engineering department to get these um, chemical renders that basically the students submit these chemical calculations and it spits out these, these chemical model render things. And um, the professor that was there contacted one of his colleagues and he goes, yeah, this this guy's recommending this red hat. Oh, we have that. We have that red hat. That red hat system is awesome. And the people that support it are fantastic. And, you know it's expensive. It's you know, I think they paid eight or nine hundred dollars a year per server, um, but it's fantastic. And so to watch Red Hat grow and for them to be an open source company of two billion dollars, it's absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah, well, it's it shows that in a lot of cases, uh, especially if you don't have the in house expertise, it's just, it just makes more sense to just have the subscription and be able to say. If something goes wrong, we have someone we can call right. and someone we can blame. Right? That's exactly right. A little bit of is CYA, right? But oh, absolutely, uh,
1: you know, a- And to a lot, made a good model out of that. To a lot of these companies, eight or nine hundred dollars is a very small price to pay to protect well, their bottom line. That can be upwards of a couple to hundred paying thousand
0: for a license for their software. Right?
1: Yes. Part absolutely. of it is just
0: the model that pe- certain types of people in business mm-hmm. can't get through their head that free software can be good. Yes. So yeah, that's are like, oh, we paid true. for it, so it's all, it's all good.
1: It's that, actually interesting that you touch on that. That is one of the key reasons why anytime we install... Opens free and open source software for a client. We always build them for it. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes that money will get donated. Oftentimes we encourage them. Like so, for example, Elementary OS has has made this very easy. Anytime we recommend Elementary OS, they say they get to the little donation page, and we say we always encourage people donate ten bucks, donate fifteen bucks, whatever. Um, and we just you know if if we're setting that up, we'll just pass it along and say you know this is what it's going to cost to get this software. Part of that is we want to support the companies that are that are you know actually making the software. But another big portion of that is. People do not value stuff when it's provided to them at no cost. And if there is, if you can leave that out completely, they evaluate software differently and they approach it differently. And so I I think you're, I think you're absolutely on point with that. Now I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you take the lead. Before we move on, Mm -hmm. that
0: kind of brings up an interesting other project uh, that I've seen do something similar like that. So uh, Varnish, if you're not familiar with it, it's a caching web server. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's used by like every major newspaper and uh, it's also backs a number of the big content acceleration things you've heard of like uh fastly Mm -hmm. um so that's open source software that was developed by uh, a friend of mine and you know at some point he came up with this idea of the varnish moral license it's like this software is free you can use whatever but you're you know Sure. If you're making money off this uh, software, then you have a moral obligation to help fund its continued development. Absolutely. Mostly in your own interest, right? Mm-hmm. If you're using the software, you want it to continue to be maintained and improved. Right. Right. Although at the same time, often what you're actually paying for when you're buying Red Hat is paying for them to make sure they don't change it on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's a true. very interesting model. Yeah. You, uh, you buy Red Hat, and mm-hmm. you run six or seven or whatever. Uh, And the whole guarantee from Red Hat there is we're going to backport only the security fixes, and we're not going to go and change the version of the web server. We're not going to go and change the version of PHP. I'll qualify that that just a little bit. On your your server,
1: because... We will change it as minimally as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. At some point, certain uh, security fixes and so on have to be made. But in the end, the idea was, you know, it was, I think, my biggest gripe about CentOS 6 for a long time was... You know, it came with a version of PHP that was modern when 6.0 came out. But by the time we were on like 6.4, it was long in the tooth. But the point was, if I built my website on that version of PHP, when I installed my updates, it's not randomly going to become a newer version that is going to say I'm not compatible with your source code and your website is going to stop working. Right. You're getting this guaranteed five years of everything just works.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's, uh, you know, that. uh, I'm glad that we're moving that direction, and uh, I'm glad that there are companies like Red Hat that are out there to provide that kind of support. And despite what all the kids are doing these days, I'm still a stick in the mud. I still like my software stale and only changes it when absolutely necessary because I like that stability. My biggest
0: gripe with CentOS 7 is that CentOS 6, Mm -hmm. all the skills I learned in college when we were using Red Hat 9 before it had the word enterprise in the name, right? just Red Hat 9 – and before there was a CentOS, or even mm-hmm. it didn't exist yet at this point, no? mm-hmm. um, I learned how to configure the network, add users, do all these things. Mm-hmm. And all those things worked exactly the same way in CentOS 6. So, when I sat down in front of it and had to build a Linux video transcoding machine, bloop, 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 done, I was all happy. Yep. In 7, eventually they had to catch up to what Linux was doing, I guess, right? Thank you, System D. So, we D. get the, the System D and all the things like that. And... All of a sudden, trying to configure the network isn't the same at all. <laughs> yep. Or worse, they kind of tried to make it work the old way. Yes. It's like, you can do some of the stuff the old way, but then if you try to do something more complicated, you really need to switch to the new yeah,
1: way. Yeah, I the commands will work, but if you try and work under the hood or stuff. Well, or no, 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 no,
0: ifconfig not found, ARP not found.
1: Well, I think the issue with
0: ifconfig was it didn't support ipv 6 right? I I don't know, but on Linux, on FreeBSD, it does. Hmm. Of course, on FreeBSD, ifconfig is ifconfig, uh, eth tool, uh, IP, and a bunch of other things. <laughs> Although we have our route command is separate.
1: I remember, I, I, it's, I'm it's i not basing that on anything, so I could very well be wrong. I probably mm-hmm. am wrong, and there would be a lot of people well, that will I, tell like, me. But... I
0: understand the appeal of the IP tool and doing, you know, it does, so you do IP neighbor in the, as opposed to right. ARP, mm-hmm. and then it does a... It does ARP and IPv6 neighbor discovery right. at once without treating them differently, mm-hmm. and I understand the appeal of that, but you're breaking my finger memory that I've had for 15, 20 exactly. years now. Exactly, exactly.
1: And the, those <laughs> of us that are in the IT administration that. world, we we kind of rely on that muscle memory. So, Alan, I'm going to let you take the, the lead on this next story. Apple is upgrading millions of iOS devices to a new modern file system. Um, tell me about this, Alan. Yeah, so there's the you know,
0: the first interesting bit is obviously a new file system, right? But the second – the bit that I found most interesting was that they were actually going to be just rolling this out as a minor update to your iPhone and it was just going to, you know, in the background, convert your file system from HFS Plus to APFS. Right.
1: It's no like, big deal. They, they must be
0: really confident that that process <laughs> is going to work reliably like, <laughs> all of the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, because, you know, converting a file system, you know, I've done that a couple of times back in the day, like in place converting a file system, not just making a new file system and then copying my files over Mm -hmm. converted that, that was always considered a very risky thing to do right? Like, if you ever did the mm-hmm. thing to convert from FAT to NTFS on, on a Windows machine? Like yeah, I Windows was never that confident XP.
1: in NTFS to do that.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, more worried about FAT was even worse, right? Mm-hmm. It's like one tiny mistake and everything's um, But, yeah, um, you know, from what I've heard so far, it, mm-hmm. it went okay. Uh, people reported it taking quite a long time to mm-hmm. do the conversion, but that's kind of expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly why, but there's uh, also that the uh, newer version, or the, the converted file system has more free space. Uh, part of that might be because it has uh, compression. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, but so, part of it might be just, they purposely started at blocking off some free space so that there would be enough free space in order to do the conversion process.
1: Sure. Some of the, some of the other improvements that uh, I've noticed here that has a find, uh, find My AirPods option, um, they have improvements. Well, I think that just came as part of the update. I don't think that's built into the oh, okay. file system. Well, yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Um, I, so, uh, yeah, actually, I wonder if... So I, I guess a lot of this is probably from the iOS update itself because the the mm-hmm. article also, also talks about CarPlay improvements. Um, the- and there was
0: a huge slew of uh, security enhancements that came out with it. And it just seems a little strange that all that happened at once. But uh, what was really amazing is just the speed that this file system came up. Mm-hmm. Like, they announced the beta and then... It was like, yeah, we're we're going to ship this now. It's like, oh,
1: you know, okay. Chris. Chris has gone on the air a couple of times, and you know, there's there's a there's a um there's a bunch of Apple loyalists that always write in and and tell him, you know, why he shouldn't worry about these things. But he has gone on the record numerous times and said there are some major major problems with the way that Apple does their file system. And oh yeah, and uh, you know, it's, HFS Plus. Yeah, it's a joke. Is 31 years old. It's a, it's a joke and the, the thing is you know and, and you, if you haven't seen the, the 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 rad it's worth looking up but basically there are some major limitations that you run into uh, anytime you try to use hfs plus if you try to use macos for anything for for very serious large scale productions you run into some pretty serious problems um and and so um it, this is a much needed uh, um mm-hmm. change i think in a direction that apple needed to take it's interesting that they're rolling it out on mobile first and not the desktop and their laptops which again seems to be indicative to me that apple sees the future as ipads tim cook was hired to apple to work on ios that's his baby he thinks that's the future and you see more
0: i've seen them try to push this on like tv shows if you watch they're always using a tablet for this or that Mm -hmm. but if you look it's like a tablet is never going to do as good as a laptop. You know,
1: I, I think that and you think that because we are – well, because we're rational human beings. That's why we think
0: well, that. Well, not only – I think it's also the type of things we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I suppose my mom could probably get through all of her internet usage on a tablet. Mm-hmm. But
1: I, – I just – I think what's going to end up happening is I think – so take, for example, video editing, right? Very, very popular thing that is done on Mac OS. And I think what eventually you're going to find happening is as you run into some of these limitations – there, and as and as i o s continues to become more and more improved, then you say, "Okay, now you know fast forward five years. the hardware, the processor, the graphics, all this stuff on this ipad conversion pro seven, whatever they call it." It has all of the necessary beef to run video editing soft- software. The problem is, now, how do we interface with it? Because you're not going to, you know, touch screen, drag, pinch zoom. I'm guessing you know.
0: what you'll do is you'll dock your tablet right. into an old-fashioned editing switch with <laughs> exactly. the jog dials and, and
1: stuff. Exactly. And so you'll have a console. That's what I was going to say. And, so, and I think what they'll do is that it will be e- – at some point, we're going to reach a point where it will be e- – Easier to fill the shortcomings of a tab- of, of the tablet form factor than it will be to fulfill the shortcomings of the of an operating system with a thirty one year old file system, and I don't know exactly when that transition is going to be, and it it really concerns me it, from a computing standpoint as a whole that this is the direction that manufacturers are going and and what it means to us as end users. The other one is
0: that the furthest thing ahead in this particular area is the Microsoft Surface. Which yes. basically looks like a laptop,
1: but the keyboard detaches and it's a tablet. Right. And I have said this numerous times. I don't believe... anytime. You, what Microsoft did was they took a at least from a user, you know, usability standpoint, like clicking on things where things are laid out. It's, it's a reasonably intuitive operating system. They took what was a good desktop operating system and attempted to cram it down to fit into a mobile space. And that doesn't work very well. And then you have the opposite approach, which is, you know, what some of the Linux desktops did very early on, which was they tried to take a touchscreen approach and implement it as a desktop. And that doesn't really work very well. On a desktop, I want things to be very, very small. I want the resolution to be very, very high because I have very, very granular control with you know with like a trackball mouse on my tablet i need very large icons and i need them to i need them to to occupy a lot of screen real estate because i need to be able to hit them with my fat fingers and so there is no one interface that is going to work on both of those platforms and i think
0: think if the the people that tried to do like obviously metro was terrible and like when they tried to do it on linux what they didn't consider was the 4k resolution screens
1: yes Right. And, and like, it begins to look I terrible, right? I paid all right?
0: this money for the screen because I want everything to be small because I want to fit all my stuff on it at once. Exactly. Not have each application always have to be full screen. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, you, you, exactly. You're 100% on point. And so, I, 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 so anyway, so th- th- that paradigm – My
0: phone has got multitasking now.
1: And yes, you but want my but it's computer but it's, to be full screen one app at a time. And the thing is, I, I'll be honest with you. I also have the multitasking on my on my S6. I hate it. I think it's stupid. In fact, there's so many times where I accidentally swipe something and it like minimizes the window. I'm like, I I can't read that. It's too small. I can't. I certainly can't touch anything in it. The, the mobile has to be full screen because the screen is only five point seven inches big. It is very frustrating, and it's 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 going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years. So. Um, I th- <laughs> very nice very nice well some of us have 5.7 inch screens um, anyway if there was a news story that we you didn't see us cover and you wanted us to cover well, uh, just oh, a ahead. little bit of extra mm-hmm. reading sure. assigned to the class uh, if you're actually interested in some of the,
0: just the technical details of APFS uh, I have a breakdown here from Adam Leventhal who is one of the original creators of D-Trace and wrote the uh, fantastic triple redundant uh, raid implementation for ZFS mm-hmm. and he's a big mac user uh and dug into it so he's got his initial conclusions from actually um getting his hands on the first um beta that mm-hmm. they gave out at the uh, worldwide developer conference mm-hmm. uh and broke down all the features including just the basic stuff how it's going to deal with encryption and snapshots and backups how it does space efficiency and compression mm-hmm. and clones uh what the performance is like uh it's data integrity features in mm-hmm. particular not as uh, it has checksums on metadata, but not the data. Mm-hmm. So not as good integrity as, say, ZFS or ButterFS. Mm-hmm. But Apple claims that their hardware is good enough. It'll be fine. We'll have to, Time will tell on that one, I guess. Sure. Uh, but, you know, if if your iPhone hasn't been going corrupt from HFS+, Plus, then this probably isn't going to make it any worse. <laughs> That's
1: what you're saying, Alan, is it can only go up from here.
0: Yes. Uh, it's, it's a heck of anyway, a metric if, you if you're on an iPhone. On how APFS actually works mm-hmm. uh, from just a you know, a user perspective Mm -hmm. Uh, with a little bit of technical details. There's that middle article. Uh, The later article is more if you're really interested in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He broke out the debugging tools and uh, kind of hacked it up a bit to actually be able to do snapshots. Sure. Uh, So he's actually using the Syscall interface to Uh write his own tools to access the features that Apple didn't provide tools for yet. Uh, So that he can try the features on his laptop before Apple actually releases it for the laptop fantastic yeah. uh, and then actually the first story uh, goes back to 2006 and tells the story of how Apple's new file system was almost set of S <laughs> but then wasn't <laughs> oh man because of Steve Jobs ego
1: oh man the not invented here system Alan that must burn well no uh, what it was
0: was that or uh, the uh, the way the story is told mm mm-hmm. It was going to be, but mm-hmm. then the uh, CEO at Sun announced the news before Steve Jobs' had. Oh. And Steve Jobs is like, well, if I didn't say it first, it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so now oh, we, they reinvented no. the wheel instead.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Ellen. Well, at least Apple users have something to look forward to. I think but that's fine. The, fe- the, uh, the open
0: source version of ZFS, mm-hmm. open ZFS is available on your Mac. Oh, just, cool! It's not good. ZFS probably wouldn't have made sense on your uh, on your watch and your phone anyway. <laughs> Although Samsung in the past had done a port of ZFS to the phone and made it work with only the back then phones only had like 512 megs of RAM. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it never actually went anywhere. I'm not entirely sure why.
1: That's probably for the better. To be honest with you, on those small embedded devices, I think that's uh, its kind of an interesting choice. Anyway, if you heard, didn't hear a news story that you think we should have covered, make sure to submit it at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's all the news for this week. This week with Chris off the air, I've decided to reveal the real reason that we are going to be ending the Linux Action Show. Now again, our last show is going to be at Linux Fest Northwest in mm-hmm. April, so don't forget to come out and hang with us one last time. Before I get to that, I want to thank our sponsor, Linux Academy. Now what we did was we went over to the Linux Unplugged show, and we saw that they had a fantastic deal for Linux Academy. What is Linux Academy? Linux Academy is an online school where you can go to learn. Linux. Now, these are real Linux instructors, and one of the most valuable things about education is being able to ask questions, have a two-way communication street. If not for that, you could just go get this information for yourself by Googling or watching online YouTube videos. Linux Academy puts you in contact with actual instructors who are passionate about teaching Linux, so you can develop Linux skills. I've said it time and time again, if you have a passion for this stuff and you're not making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. You need to be looking for a different job and Linux Academy will help you get the tools to do that. Now you can use our code by visiting linuxacademycom slash unplugged. I know it says unplugged, but that's because we stole it from those unplugged guys, Linux Academy.com slash unplugged, and they will give you a discounted rate to get started on Linux Academy. So go over there and a huge thank you to the Linux, uh, to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux action show. Now, I need to take you back. We need to have a history lesson. If you'll remember, okay. about two years ago, Alan and I were both at Linux Fest Northwest and we were trying to get this Linux computer working for yes. uh, a live broadcast. And like literally had to be working the next day. Right. And Linux was doing this idiotic thing where it wouldn't actually boot and we couldn't specify we, a drive so other than STA.
0: So, yeah, we basically built this machine by going to the computer store and buying the missing parts. And cobbling together all the other parts, and we decided, you know, we need as much disk I/O as possible. We'll slam every spare disk we have into this thing. But we want it to boot from this disk. And the installer for Linux is like, no, right? No, I, 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 can only put the the boot sector on the the first disk. But it's like, but that's not the disk I want. But it's like, I don't care. And uh, and, and, and this was this it, was
1: this was really the, the BIOS first boot time. order is different, and it's like, oh cow can't find the dead cow <laughs> yeah what? which was a, which was a strange air message and it was that was really it was the first revelation to me that we had to do this very important thing and i wasn't able to do it on linux and here i was telling going on the air every week telling people that they could live their life on linux they could use linux and as it turns out we couldn't even get this computer to boot up and it was, it was, I think that was the, that was the Actually, first, but that was the you first nudge. Do a lot of things with
0: any computer. Right. But if it won't
1: turn on, if you can't make it start the operating system, you're not doing anything. So, but, but, you know, we went on the air, we eventually got it working, but behind the scenes, Alan had said, you know, you should check out FreeBSD, you should check out, um, you know, PCBSD, now TrueOS. And I had been playing with it for a cup, you know, for, for a couple of months, just kind of on and off, just to kind of see what it was about. And I eventually wound up itself later that year. And um, there was a huge discussion about BSD and Illumina Desktop and how great all of this stuff was coming together. And I started to watch this and I'm like, here are people that they they eat their own dog food. They're actually using this operating system. And here are all these Linux guys. <clears throat> They're all running Windows and Mac OS. These guys are actually using BSD and it's working for them. And there were some translation layers that they were, you know, some things that they were putting in place to get some of you know the Linux software to work. But. By and large, everything was just working on BSD. Yeah, open, open
0: source software just compiles, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it works perfectly fine. You don't need the Linux emulation layer in FreeBSD to run open source software. It's right. really
1: for commercial software where you don't have the source code to actually compile it as a native FreeBSD app. Right. And so at this time, at all this time, I'm watching all these BSD guys have a great time. And then I, I'm coming back and I'm having some issues on Ubuntu. And so I jump off Ubuntu and I go over to Arch. And arches, there's, you know, I've got all these issues, display issues and flickering screens and stuff like that. And so then I'm, I and, and the, the entire time I have this Dell Latitude that I had installed, PCBSD um, later TrueOS. And every time I sat down at that computer, it was just like I, I just I guess what I felt like it was like that was the store bought computer. And all of my Linux computers were the computers that I had like hobbled together, even though the computers that were running Linux were brand new. My X260 was a brand new Linux, you know, brand new computer from Lenovo. And it was just it was running like crap, and so, um, I ordered I ordered a new laptop, and I decided it's time it's time for me to switch over to uh, truesque I'm I'm just I'm gonna start using BSD. I'm not gonna really do so much of the the Linux side. I still like it. I hope the Linux project does well, but it's just it's not for me anymore. What I really needed was a stable base with rolling packages, so I could get up to date software, but not have it take me off my game. Because at the end of the day, yeah, I'm a business it's the owner.
0: Kind of the fundamental difference between. Uh, bsd and linux is in a bsd you have a coherent user land it was basically a coherent operating system right that's a kernel the user land the base libraries all that stuff that's developed in one source tree by one team of people and released as a unit then on top of it we have the third-party packages twenty-seven thousand applications that you can choose to install Mm -hmm. right so it's just like the the package repo you get on your Ubuntu or your Red Hat or your Arch or whatever. uh, It's just those are all applications made by other people that you can install in your system. Mm -hmm. But your operating system and the tools that come with it those were all written and developed by one
1: group of people Exactly. all made to work together. Exactly. And that, wow. and that cohesiveness and that, that, that solidarity uh, and just not having to go out and say, well, this distro has these advantages, but these things don't work. And this one has these advantages, but these things don't work. We just have, or, we or, have like, one thing and one thing The one that always
0: confused set- me when I first started hosting the Linux Action Show uh, and people were asking about trying to compare it to Linux and so on. I was like, well, when you get a Linux, it comes with a desktop environment. Right. It's like, but what if I don't want to? What if I don't like that one? Right. It's like on BSD, there's a category, and you can choose any of like 120
1: desktop environments. Mm-hmm. Or you can have two of them at the same time. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. It's it, it's it's been absolutely fantastic. And so, you know, so then the, the next part of the con- conversation. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Uh, well, the other one that you get is the best part of Red Hat and the best part of Arch at the same time. Yeah, right? you man. Get a base system that's stabled with a branch like FreeBSD 10 or 11, guaranteed for five years. Mm-hmm. Any program compiled on FreeBSD 11.0 will run perfectly fine on FreeBSD 11.4. Exactly. And exactly. So basically, that five-year span from 11.0 to the end of the 11 branch, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed anything you build will just keep working, and nothing's going to change out from underneath you. Right. But you can still have your third-party software, and you get two choices. Mm-hmm. You have quarterly branches of mm-hmm. the packages where only security updates are applied and you only have to deal with major upgrades once every four months, or three months, whatever, once a quarter, or you have the full rolling release where every single day the latest versions of software are being shipped to you. Mm-hmm. And you just decide when you want to upgrade.
1: So then the... Plus, the, oh, because it's ZFS,
0: you can out the system, do the package update, try it. Oh, guess what? I don't like the, what the latest version of GNOME did. Mm-hmm. Reboot in the menu. Say the before I installed those updates today by mistake, mm-hmm. uh, and boop, your machine's back to exactly how it was. But all the files in your home directory
1: are still how they were a minute ago. They didn't get rebound. Only the packages. So uh, the next part of the the story is this is where kind of this kind of went off the rails. Everything until this point was going really well, but then I had to go have a conversation with Chris, and I was like, so not really wanting to do a whole lot of Linux anymore. I really want to focus more on BSD. Uh, in fact, I, I actually, I, at this point, I had gotten rid of a lot of my Linux. I think I, guys, I told you guys a couple weeks ago I was getting rid of a lot of my computers. Part of that was because, I, I, again, I had some issues with Skylake, but the other issue was I just wanted to get rid of... Um, I wanted to go to a, a, a hardware platform that I could really trust and rely on. And I know that Apple, it, you know, is that that uh, hardware platform. As it turns out, it runs flawlessly with yeah. uh, True S.
0: X260 will work perfectly fine with TrueOS as well.
1: I sold it. I actually, I sold it for a MacBook. I got a 17-inch MacBook now. And I have – I got rid of my S6 and I'm now using an iPhone. And I have an iPad as a tablet so that as Apple continues to develop a lot of their um, – a lot of their hardware infrastructure. And as this new, you know, Apple file system comes out, I can take advantage of that. Um, now they don't have Mac OS on them. So they have, it, it's, it, I'm running true OS and I'm very, very happy with it. It's running very, very well, very stable. Um, But when I when I talked to Chris about it, and I said, you know, I'm really excited about this. You know, this BSD thing is working out really well, and I've gotten rid of all my Linux computers. Now I have these Macs, and those are working really well with TrueOS. And you know, I'm on iOS now, and that I'm really happy with that. And I'm getting all my updates and stuff, which makes me really happy. And then he and he goes, how can you how can you show up and host a Linux Action Show if you're not using Linux? In fact, how can you tell me about AppPix? How are you going to cover news? How are you going to do reviews? Nobody wants. You know, we're not going to do. You know. Segments on BSD and on iPhones, and I'm like, well, I understand that, but you know that this is the direction that my, you know that that I'm going because I have to be able to run my business this way. Um, and so ultimately, the decision was made that um, you know Chris is going to go out and he's going to do his um, Linux uh, Linux news show, and I'm going to go uh, and 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 do Ask Noah. Um, but I have managed to switch myself to BSD. And guys, I, you know it 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 took me a while to get the courage to come on camera and, and talk about all of this, but the truth is. I'm way happier. I'm happier on BSD. Alan, you've been very, very helpful getting me there and being able to use all these applications. Um, and again, with my new hardware choices, I feel like I'm really set up for the next ten years to be a successful business person instead of, you know, this crazy zealot advocating for some free operating system. It's a bad science, project. Yep. So, uh, anyway, if if you have any, so fe- if you're
0: trying to reach Noah, he won't be on Telegram anymore. He's on Prima.
1: Oh, and iMessage. I have iMessage. So if you're on the Apple infrastructure, then you can iMessage yeah, me.
0: you want to encrypt so three ma.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. You, so, uh, remember, at Linux Fest,
0: we're going to have to scan each other's QR codes to exchange private keys. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Uh, you know, that way, if I get a message, I know it's actually from you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, currently, be...
0: I have messages from you, but it, I'm not, I can't trust them because I'm <laughs> signed you, you don't team.
1: know that I am me. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, if you, if you want to, if you guys are upset about it, I understand if you want to send a contact information, jupiterbroadcasting.com click on the contact show, click on Linux action show. Um, and I uh, hope to see all of you guys at Linux fest and we can talk about it and I can show you, I'm really excited about this, this new venture and I can show you all my cool new toys and, and some of the, the cool new things that I'm doing at them. It's super exciting. Alan, anything else before we wrap? I know. All right. uh, Welcome to the team. Thanks. I appreciate it. Let's go read some of your feedback. And that brings us to the end of the Linux Action Show. Before we get out of here, we want to read some of your feedback right here on the air. Now, if you have feedback about the show, head over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com and choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. Before we get to your feedback, though, we want to thank our sponsor, System76. Now, System76 has been a longtime sponsor of the show. They make some of the best computers for running Linux and free BSD, and they've just released a new best computer for running Linux or FreeBSD. BSD, and that is the Galago Pro. Now, I spent hours, hours playing with this thing at scale, and it is a fantastic machine. They are putting Apple to shame with this new machine. Um, They are going to be sending us one out for review, so when that gets to us, we will uh, review it and take a look and give you our hard look at it, but I got to tell you, after playing with it for two, three hours, I think it's a fantastic machine, and when it gets released, or if it's not out already, I think it comes out in April, uh, when it comes out, it Everyone should be looking at this machine as their next computer because it is it is truly a fantastic machine. Now, when you call them to order your machine, make sure to tell them that Noah switched you to Linux. You watch this show or BSD, that will count too. And Emma will send you something, a little something special, because she promised she would. Now, our first piece of feedback comes from Jonathan. And Jonathan writes in and he says... I just started watching Lass in January, and the last week I was I overheard coworkers talking about Linux, so I had to jump and tell them about Lass. Was behind my podcast watching before I finished episode four sixty two. I'm so sad to see this chapter ending, but happy to see what both of you will be doing next. One thing that would love, one thing I would love to see and ask Noah, or maybe a monthly ish podcast, is to do picks and distro reviews. Uh, when, when the, when they make the scene, do your top five to 10 app picks and see what new distros come out. I really like them, but sometimes it felt like you were just forcing it too much. I've enjoyed last and I really hope to learn more from Jupiter broadcasting. Well, I can promise you that if there is a application that comes out uh, on BSD, remember not Linux, but if a BSD application comes out and it is really helping me that week. I'll be absolutely sure to talk about it on Ask Noah, as well as, you know, when my 270 gets here, whatever year that happens to be, um, I will be doing a full review on it, letting you know how that works with True mm-hmm. OS. Um, and we'll be reporting that on the show. So don't worry. Like I said in the intro, uh, intro of Ask Noah, if you haven't seen that, go back last week. There is a video trailer for Ask Noah. All of the things that that you have come to love that I bring to this program, I will be bringing to that program 100%. Um, So all of those features will still be there in the new shows. Don't worry about that. Efren C. writes in, and he says, Lass, more than just Linux. Hey, Chris, I'm writing to thank you so much for Lass. Around 2010, I got hurt on my job, and I was at home uh, with nothing to do, and being very depressed on top of that. It was very hard for me, but I tried to watch something new called Lass on YouTube, and thanks to you and Angela's faux show, I was able to deal with it and survive. Now, I know this isn't a Linux question, but I thought you should hear that Linux is not just an operating system. It can be so much more. I'm not a Linux big Linux user. I'm still a bit of a noob, but I, like, I do like it, and I use it every day, and I try to switch people to it. Oh, and Noah, love you, dude. You're one heck of a smart guy. Don't stop what you're doing. I love what you guys are doing on Linux, and I want you to know that we care about it. I can't wait to see Ask Noah uh, and learn something. Sorry if this was too long, but I just wanted to say I love you guys. Well, thank you very much, uh, Efren, for writing in, and absolutely, we're I'm going to take that same passion that I have here in the Linux Action Show. We're bringing that to Ask Noah. Now, again, if you're not familiar with what Ask Noah is, if you missed last week's episode, Ask Noah is my new radio show that's launching Monday, April 3rd at 7 p.m. Pacific, that I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is 4 p.m. Pacific. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Just go to jbjbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar and let the robots figure it out for you. Again, yeah, if there's at a s- those
0: are are not fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're not. And everytimezone.com. That's a website that Beard gave me, and it's a fantastic site that lets you calculate times. That's actually what I was using to, yeah, to figure it, all this stuff out. BST now
0: almost got screwed up last week because, um. George W. Bush, a couple of years ago when he was president, changed when North America changes its clocks for daylight savings time to be like two weeks earlier mm-hmm. in the spring and two weeks later in the fall. The rest of the world didn't, <laughs> which means that we moved and they didn't mm-hmm. and rescheduled BSD now with my new German co-host. And then they changed their daylight savings time and suddenly 7 p.m. for him wasn't uh, 2 p.m. for me. It was 1 p.m. Right. And so, Yeah. BSD now was accidentally an hour early last week.
1: Yeah, that's no good.
0: At the last minute because he was all set up and ready to go. And I was like, I guess I can hurry up and get ready.
1: Right. Well, if there's a story that we missed in the the show or you wanted to give us feedback on how we did with this episode, I'm not claiming I can fill Chris's shoes, but – Try to hold my own, do the best I can in his absence. So at least you get some show and not no, no show, Alan. It's always amazing to host with you. I hope mm-hmm. that you can be a guest on Ask Noah, or we can do something with the. That we can maybe we can both jump in for yeah. Linux News Show, or you could come on User Air, because um, it's always fun to host with you. And your your brain is filled with knowledge. I just need to pick through it from time to time, make sure to update myself. If you have comments, again, you want to give us feedback, linuxactionshow.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com, Click on the contact link and choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu. You can find me on Twitter at KernelLinux, the new show at Ask Noah Show, the network at Jupiter Signal. Chris is gone, but he's Chris at ChrisLAS. Alan, are you on, you're on Twitter, right? Yep, Alan Jude on Twitter. At Alan Jude on Twitter. Okay, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you all right back here next week. I, they, after this new Firefox upgrade thing, I went to use a piece of legacy equipment that we have, and it has this like Java little toolbox thing. Click on the thing, doesn't run. Okay, why doesn't it run? Well, Java plugin can't talk. Okay, why doesn't the plugin talk? So I read, if you're using Firefox after 52, 53, whatever, that broke the nappy plugin system. So <clears throat> go download the special version that has legacy support for older plugins. I go down that, load that thing. Turns out there's no repo, and you have to like replace your entire Firefox instance, which I didn't want to do. Okay, so so while
0: all that is terrible, I had the same thing with Google Hangouts. It's
1: like yeah. you broke Google <clears throat> Hangouts. That one's kind of important for me. Yeah, yeah. So I tried, I tried the the legacy Chrome thing. Installed. I don't want to have and, Chrome um, installed. That didn't work. Yeah, I know, I know that didn't work. I tried Chrome, didn't work. So then I was like, somebody must just make a browser that just works with Java. I just want to use this stupid Java thing, and every single thing that so finally I end up like taking Java compiling it finding the Firefox legacy thing and getting the plug in configured everything's there everything works and I go to use this thing and it says I log into this legacy appliance thing and I get this error message and it says (laughs) the security level is set too high open the Java control panel or whatever yeah and and, Uh, and turn the security down so you have
0: to add an exception for the IP address
1: I didn't have the Java control panel because it was like this plug-in file mm. copy thing that I did. And, uh, so yeah. I didn't have that. Uh, because,
0: yeah, uh, Oracle's done just as good a job as the browsers of making Java unusable. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what I like is it still works for my IPMI stuff because it doesn't try to run Java in the browser. It gives me a, a Java web start file right. that runs Java Yeah, Yeah, so like the,
1: the, the ice Tea stuff. thing or whatever would work?
0: No, just... Java. Uh, well, I don't. Uh, maybe that's iced tea on Linux. Um, yeah. Uh, they, for me, it's just Java Web Start. It's a yeah. Yeah. File yeah. They have and yeah. we start Java with it, and it does the magic.
1: Yeah, we've got like this little thing, and it like let's. But Java I've had the same app, problem with Google.
0: Firefox. Mm-hmm. It's. I understand it's partly there so that your computer can't get tricked into doing it with a virus or configuration or something. But mm-hmm. give me a button. I want to connect to this old appliance right. that uses terrible SSL.
1: Right. Give me a button. Give me a button. Say and, this is a bad and idea. And, do you want to do it anyway? Like please. I
0: understand. Making it so that it's not just click-click to get to it. Right. But when there's nothing you can adjust in about colon config to mm-hmm. let you connect to it, you've gone too far.
1: I think they're coming for me, Alan. <laughs> uh,
0: so I ended up having to get, like, Firefox Portable version 17 or something. Yeah, order, yeah. And, and installing this in a directory. Right. So that I could connect to the goddamn.
1: It's just... It's a pain. It's such a pain. And so the thing is, like, I... One of the things that I, I wish I would just give me a box and make me like solve math or something. So like I can prove that I really want to do something dangerous, but then give me the box because I, I want the. I don't know. It's just very frustrating.
0: Yes. I like I understand sometimes <clears throat> it's specifically because we don't want users to be tricked into doing it or a virus to change the setting when the user doesn't even know that it's there. Right. But it needs to be a way
1: for to get around it. Yeah. To do the right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, it's very frustrating. And I'm sure And the the problem is for every one person of me saying that there's a I can't I can't do X, Y, Z. There's going to be 10 other people that are like, here's let me tell you why that's a great thing. Let me tell you why that's a fair. Yeah, it's like, well, security.
0: We yeah, recommend right. the security. Right, right, right. It's like
1: it's not security if I know what I'm
0: doing. It's fine. Security. I understand a car tie. that we don't want your mom accepting invalid SSL certificates.
1: Right. But I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like there should be a box. Like, give me a box, let me go into it. Like, thing. I
0: understand making it so it's not just click 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 to dismiss, right? Mm-hmm. That that was a terrible thing the browsers did early on. It's mm-hmm. all Microsoft's fault that invalid SSL certificates are just something people just click through nowadays. Right, but You're I mean, even stopping.
1: I mean, here is uh, the thing: there are times when it's appropriate to click through an invalid SSL. Like I yeah. get self signed stuff that I uh, I know what it is. I know that it's my device or that it's you know I didn't want to pay for a cert, so <sighs> it's just a pain. I don't like it. It's no good. Our is gonna kill me because these files are why is that big? They're they're huge, huge, huge files. Huge. Okay, I have I have the best files. You know it. I know it. Uh, so
0: everyone knows actually, it. But yeah. When did you get your two seventy? Mm-hmm. Maybe before you put your Linux
1: on and get it all set up, yeah, I try. Maybe it. try Turo on it. Just yeah, I would for a show. Uh, Here's the thing. I um, what's well, really frustrating? So they they ship me the um, they ship me the uh, the 270. I open it up. Mm-hmm. I go to install. In fact, I started filming a review about it. And uh, I turn it on, and I'm like, and you press function space car. Let's see how bright the, ba- the back the back the backlit key the There's no backlit keyboard. So I send it back. Oh, yeah, I know. There's- so I sent it back. Three weeks later, they get around to sending me the second computer. Open it up. Same problem. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? And so but anyway, they're giving me like 10% off, which is great. So by the way, hold on. Time out. We should have said this in the show. A ginormous, huge thank you to both Rikai and Michael Tunnell, our producer, because both of them were like on Johnny on the spot, getting all this stuff done. So we were originally going to shoot this episode on Sunday. And then today, uh, Rakai was like, well, you know, it's April 1st. It might be a great day to do. If we're going to do an April Fool's episode, it'd, it'd kind of be funny to do it today. And we didn't have like a really strong topic because we didn't want to dive in, you know, super deep to Linux with, you know, with Alan. And I didn't want to dive in. Well, I did, I guess, dive in super deep to BSD. And so we're like, what should we do? And we're like, well, we could do an April Fool's thing. This would be today would be the day to film it, though. And then plus you get Sunday off. And I get a Sunday off, which would be kind of nice. And so we're, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think it was last week. <laughs> I swore, I swore up and down, I will never do a show on Saturday. Noah will never do a show on Saturday. You Mark my words. And here I am, like the, like the very next week, doing a show on Saturday. It's pretty funny. Yep. But... Um, but it's to get out of doing a show on Sunday, so it's not quite the same thing. But we, we Yeah, you're right, yeah. But we, uh, we decided this at like 1.30 in the afternoon, 1.40 in the afternoon. We said, okay, we're going to go live at 6. Wow we needed plates i needed to set up an entire remote machine i'm sure the audio levels are, are wonky and because you know they never well set uh, yeah, up at first i time. was like you want to start in 40 minutes like I yeah, yeah. That, but the show doc is kind no, of empty yeah no 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 and and so yeah so we got to that yeah that was the other thing too i don't do google docs so when chris was not going to be here for the week i'm like all right i'm composing the shot in simple note And the problem with that was is Simple Note doesn't, I mean, Alan doesn't have, I assume, anyway, doesn't have Simple Note. And so the collaborative portion had to be on Google Docs. So I put the links in so you could read the stories. And I was like, I'll go fill in all the other extraneous stuff later. While then six hours after that, Rakai's like, hey, by the way, why don't we do the show today? And I'm like, that's a good idea. Clear it with Chris. See if Alan's available. Let's do that. Um, And then it was like. I was actually on my way to lunch at that point, so it's like, well, I'll be gone for another four, four forty minutes, and then it's like, well, I got back at two thirty something like that. I'm like, great, I have like three hours to set the entire studio up that I had taken apart for setting up for Ask Noah and get everything set up to do the show today. So, and and so anyway, that whole, all that to say. Rakai was on his game to get everything set up from a streaming perspective, get everything ready for us, and was able to remote into my OBS box and fix all of that stuff for me. And then Michael, I asked him, I said, I need new frames, I need one for Alan for me, I need this, I need that. And he's like, yep, no problem, boom, 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 all on Telegram, Send him over, like, within 15 minutes. In fact, right before he went on the air, he actually got me the last one that I needed for the for the OBS box so a ginormous thank you if you guys need any sort of graphic design website design he's my go-to graphic designer guy I have him do he's working on a bunch of stuff for me for ask Noah he's do, working on a bunch of stuff for all I have another client that is very very important to me and uh, we needed to get some really high-end graphic website stuff done he's handling all of that he's like the best graphic designer ever so if you need somebody michaeltonnell.com and if you need something video edited Rick is too busy but someday maybe he'll do it so there you go